Okay, good evening, uh, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bible Questions and Answers. Before we go ahead and proceed, we would like to invite all of you to stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, yes, Father. thank you so much, Yahuwah Abba, Amen. for all the outpouring of blessing that we receive from you day by day in our yes, life. Father. So, Father, this day we set aside to study your holy words. Yes, for we believe that every part of your scripture is fruitful and will lead to righteousness. Amen. In our study today, we ask that you please bless us with the power of your spirit, yes, that we will come to a knowledge of your truth yes. and receive the power of salvation. Amen. Please be with your servants always, O Father, yes, that we can always remain by your side, no matter yes. what happens in our life. Amen. Yahushua, our King, yes, may you please Lord. speak to our hearts today. Yes. Speak to our minds as well yes. and help us to be more and more like you in everything that we do. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, so we're very excited to present to you another episode of Bible Questions and Answers. And we begin with question number one. And this is the question presented to us. My question is, can we find anything in the Bible regarding what our King Yahusha wrote in the dust? If yes, what could it be? Many are curious. Oh, so you're probably wondering, what on earth are you talking about King Yahusha writing in the dust. You don't write in the dust, brother. You write, you write on tablet or parchment or a piece of paper, but you don't write in the dust. What is this all about? Well, let's go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 8, 6 down to 10. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Yahushua stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Yahushua was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Yahushua stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And so this is the context of the question what was written by Yahusha in the dust. It pertains to this incident where the Pharisees confronted Yahusha HaMashiach and brought to them a certain woman. Now, who was this woman that was brought to Yahusha? And afterwards, Yahusha wrote in the dust. Well, to answer the question, what did Yahusha write in the dust? The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible does not explicitly tell us what exactly Yahusha wrote in the dust. We can only speculate. However, we can look at clues which point to a certain principle that Yahusha wants to teach us about this incident. And I think that's good enough for now, right? We'll find out when we're in heaven and we speak to Yahusha, Lord Yahusha, what did you write in the dust? But let's find out the context. Who was this woman that was brought to, Yah to Yahusha? Let's read John chapter 8, 1 to 6. Yahusha returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Crowd soon gathered, and he sat, he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman 
who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Yahusha, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Yahusha stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So the incident was Yahusha was teaching in the temple and there was a crowd. And when there's a crowd, there were people, religious teachers who were jealous of Yahusha. Who were they? Pharisees. What were the Pharisees known for, brothers and sisters? Their hypocrisy. Yahusha spoke very bluntly, very aggressively, and very powerfully against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so here are the Pharisees, and they bring with them a woman caught in adultery. Because there's a Mosaic law that says if a person is caught in adultery, they are to be stoned to death. So there's a crowd, right? A woman is brought before the crowd who should be stoned because she was caught in adultery. And here are the Pharisees presenting this woman to Yahusha before the crowd. And what was her question to Yahusha HaMashiach? The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And so they're pointing to Yahusha to come up with a response concerning what to do with the woman. However, the Bible tells us the purpose of the Pharisees. It was not really about the woman, was it? It was to trap who? Yahusha HaMashiach. You see, if Yahusha were to say, well, this woman should be stoned, then they can use that against him because the crowd would probably side with the woman. I don't know. But if Yahusha would say, okay, we should not stone her, then they can use that against him because they will say, well, is it, doesn't it say in the law of Moses that she should be stoned? And so they were trying to trap Yahusha HaMashiach. So what did he do? Let's read verse 7 down to 8. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. So what did Yahushua uh, say to the Pharisees after they demanded for an answer. Yahushua said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And so after saying that, what did Yahushua do? He wrote something in the dust. When you look at the context, right? Yahushua saying to them, let no one who has, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, and then he writes something in the dust, it must be in connection with what he said. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is not doctrinal, but I'm speculating that what he wrote in the dust has something to do with the sins of the Pharisees. What do you think? Could it be? It could be. Why? Because after he wrote on the dust, what did the Pharisees do? Let's read 8, 9 down to 10. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Yahushua was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Yahushua stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? 
didn't even one of them condemn you. So after he said to the Pharisees, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And he wrote something in the dust. One by one, what did the Pharisees do? They left. What do you suppose Yahusha wrote in the dust? In my opinion, this is my opinion, okay? I think Yahusha wrote the names of those Pharisees. And right next to it, their adulterous relationships. <laughs> the names of the woman that they had an affair with. You know why? Because Yahushua was speaking to the Pharisees and in the exposition of Yahushua concerning the Pharisees, he dealt with the Pharisees' hypocrisy. You see, when it comes to adultery, it's not just the woman who's supposed to be stoned to death. Who also? Leviticus 20 verse 10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And so perhaps when Yahusha disclosed their secrets on the dust and they saw that they were guilty of sin that warranted their death as well, they became afraid and one by one they left. And so until Yahusha was the only one left. And what did Yahusha say to the woman? Where are your accusers? Right? So th there was no more accusers. There was no reason for her to be condemned. What does Yahusha say to the woman? You and, and I no longer condemn you. Does it mean that Yahusha is tolerating this kind of behavior? Is it because Yahusha is ushering in an age of grace and mercy? Does it mean he's tolerating adultery? After the Pharisees left one by one, what did Yahusha say to the woman? John 8, 11. No, Lord, she said. And Yahusha said, neither do I go and sin no more. Yahusha has the authority to forgive her sins because after all, Yahusha is ushering in a new covenant, okay? So that's the answer to the question. Basically, I have no idea what Yahusha wrote in the dust. However, when we look at the context, we can see that these Pharisees who are hypocrites, when they were accusing the woman of sin, they themselves were guilty of that sin. And so when it comes to the adulterous woman, it takes two to tango, as they say. And so what about the other person? It could be that the other persons could have been the Pharisees. So we don't know. What we know is Yahusha exposed their sin. And because of this, one by one, they left. Okay. Now, this brings in a following question. Does it also mean that the law of Moses is no longer valid in Christ's time. What is the answer to that question? Well, first, we need to know what the law of Moses entails. What does it encompass? Because the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament ceremonies can be under the umbrella called the law of Moses. So what is the law of Moses? When we look at the Old Testament, there are 365 negative commands. When we say negative commands, it comes in the form, do not do this, right? And there are 248 positive commands. What does that mean? Commands in the form, do this. 
And so you add the two, there were 613 total commands under the law of Moses. However, the law of Moses was not just a series of commands. It also was a way of life for the people of Israel, because Israel was a theocracy. What does that mean? Israel was not only a nation, it was also a religion in one. The nation had a religion, and that is, of course, under the jurisdiction of the law of Moses, which is why when we look at the law of Moses, we can separate it into three parts, the moral law, the social law, and the ceremonial law. What is the moral law? It's basically the 10 commandments, Exodus 21 to 17, which serves as a guideline so that we can know the difference between what the right thing to do is, the wrong thing to do, as we relate with God and our fellow human beings. This is why when you look at the Ten Commandments, it pertains to what God wants us to do for Him, right? The first several commands, and also our relationship with our fellow men. It's also social law, because the nation of Israel, like what we said, was not just a, was a theocracy. It was a nation and also a religion. And so the secular, the social, the political, the economic life, basically the civil life of Israel had certain commandments under the law of Moses. So moral law, social law, and it also had ceremonial law. Exodus 25, and we studied this in the book of Leviticus, which basically guided the process of the rituals, the ceremonies, the celebrations of Israel. Just like the giving of offering, right? The different um, feasts, the different ways of worshiping, the Levitical priesthood, and the sacrifices, the slaughtering of certain animals, all that fell under the category of ceremonial law. So all these categories, moral law, social law, ceremonial law, is under the law of Moses. And so what was the purpose of the Old Testament and the law of Moses? Remember, the question is, is the law of Moses still applicable today during the Christian era? I would say yes, but in a different way. And so when we look at the law of Moses, it had a purpose. What was that? Let's read the book of Colossians 2, 16 to 17. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So what was the purpose of the law of Moses in particular, the ceremonies, the holy days, or the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. It pointed to who? Yahushua, the Christ. Why would the Old Testament rituals, the law of Moses, why was it set up to point to Yahushua, the Christ? Hebrews 10 verse 1, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Why was the old system, the law of Moses, 
uh, placed in order to point to Yahusha the Christ. That's because the law of Moses and everything under it was imperfect. It was not the good things in themselves. Rather, it was a preview, a dim preview of the good things that is to come. What are these good things to come? It is the new covenant under who? Yahusha the Christ. Because the old system is not perfect. It did not provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. What does that mean? That it, did, it was not perfect. Why did it have to be replaced? Why was it not permanent? In the book of Romans 7, 7 to 10, what shall we say then? Is the, is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So Apostle Paul is telling us here concerning the law. What was the purpose of the law of Moses? Its purpose was to teach us all about what? Sin. Without the commandment under the law of Moses, there would be no sin. Because what is the definition of sin? It is to violate what? The command. The law. If there's no law, then there's no sin. So because there was the law, there is the possibility now of sin. And because there's law, there's now sin. And because there's sin, there is now death. Because according to the law, if you violate the law, then there's the condemnation attached to those who violate the commands of God. So because of the law, mankind, we human beings, especially the Jews, became aware of sin. Hence, because of this awareness for sin, what does it prepare us to do? Galatians chapter 3, 10 to 14. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Yahushua. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so because of the law, there is death. Because when the law was introduced, we are now obligated to obey all of it. What did Apostle Paul say in conclusion? Since we were required to obey all of the law. He says, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God, by, before God by the law. Why? Why is it impossible that a person can be justified? When we say justified, put right. 
Why is it impossible for a person to be justified, to be put right with God by the law by itself? That's because everyone is guilty of breaking the law, right? No one is perfect. And so because no one is perfect, because of the law, those who commit sin are now, are, are now condemned to die. That's the curse of the law. So basically, when the law of Moses was introduced, it basically introduced a prison, prison of the law, because we are now held subject to the law by virtue of the requirements of the law. And those who do not meet the requirements of the law, what is the punishment? They are to die. That's the curse of the law. This is why people, when the law was introduced, people became prisoners of the law. So what is the solution to that? In the book of uh, Galatians 3, 23, 25, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So that's the answer to the question. Question was, are we still under the law of Moses? As far as the supervision of the law, no more. Because if we were under the law, as far as judgment is concerned, none of us will pass. Because of our human nature, we are all prisoners of the law. It's a good thing that Yahuwah God did something. What was that? Yahuwah God, he provided us a way so that we can be justified. Not by the law, but by what? Faith, right? How are we justified by faith? Through Christ. So the purpose of the law of Moses was to show us to Christ. The purpose of the law of Moses was to prepare our hearts into accepting Yahushua. In other words, the purpose of the law of Moses was to make us see that we are sinful creatures who cannot find our own salvation. And so we are forced. We have nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, but to accept the grace of salvation through who? Yahushua. The king. Do you see that? So the purpose of the law is not so that we will be permanently under the supervision of the law, but to teach us that we can escape the requirements of the law by being justified by faith in Yahusha the Christ. But how can we be justified by faith through Yahusha the Christ? Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. How can we be justified by faith through Yahusha the Christ? Bible says that Yahusha did something in himself, right? What did he do in himself? He created the one new man. What's the one new man again? One head, one body. Who's the head? Yahusha, what's the body? The assembly, right? The parts of the body are the members of his assembly, his followers. One head, one body, you got one new man. And so in this one new man, we have new 
identities. What becomes of our identity now? The head, right? If you're part of the body, then you'll now identify with who? The head. This is why Yahusha created in himself the one new man. And so when we are parts of the one new man, guess what? That Because of Yahusha's death, the law with its commandments and regulations has been abolished, thus making peace. Do you see how it all interrelates? The law has commandments. And because there are commandments, there is sin. Because there is sin, there is death. No peace with God, right? But Yahushua satisfies all of the commands and the regulations and establishes peace with God. How can we identify with what Yahushua did? By becoming parts of his body. This is why we no longer need the law of Moses. Because Yahushua did something with the law of Moses. What is that? Matthew 5, 17 and 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Want to pause it for a while. Who is the one speaking there, brothers and sisters? Yahushua. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Did Yahushua fulfill the laws of Moses? Absolutely. He fulfilled the laws of Moses. He fulfilled all the ceremonies of the Old Testament because all the Old Testament ceremonies was about who? Was about him. And so the prophecies, the laws of Moses, the ceremonies that pointed to Yahushua, Yahushua fulfilled them all. He came to fulfill the law. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Yahushua, when he went to earth, what was his purpose? To abolish the law? To get rid of the law of Moses? No, he came to fulfill it. Why? So that we don't have to. You get that? So that we don't have to die. Under the law of Moses. And because Yahushua fulfilled the requirements of the law. Because that's what it means. That he came to fulfill all of them. Including the requirements of the law. Death. Right? He fulfilled them all. Because he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Including death. We don't have to. Why? Because we have been identified with who? Yahushua HaMashiach. This is why when it comes to the law of Moses... The requirements of the law has been done. We can even say we have already satisfied the requirements of the law of Moses. Why? Because of our union with Yahusha HaMashiach. Does it mean that the commands of God, like the Ten Commandments, that they're no longer important? What do you think? Well, Yahusha says anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so it doesn't mean that just because... We, in our union with Yahushua HaMashiach, 
and have satisfied the requirements of the law of Moses, that we are now free to break the law of Moses. No, we are not free to break the laws and commandments of God. There are parts of the commandments of God that we still need to do. Think of it this way, okay? When we are outside of Yahusha, for us to be saved, we have to fulfill all of the commands of Moses, right? Perfectly. But we cannot do that. Now that we are in Yahusha, we don't have to perfectly obey all of them because we have already been become one with Yahusha, the Christ. So we already perfect by virtue of our union with the perfect one, Yahusha, HaMashiach. They get that? However, because we are in Yahusha, we have the responsibility of still following the commands of God. Why? Because the commands of God in the Old Testament, they teach us what God wants. They teach us all about God and His righteousness. And so when we follow the teachings of Moses, it is not for salvation. It is for our edification. Do you see the difference? And so the purpose of the law of Moses for us is to look at the pattern of the law of Moses and see what is still applicable. For example, the law of Moses has three parts, moral law, social law, ceremonial law. Ceremonial law, was that fulfilled by Yahushua? Yeah. Do we need to do that? No more. Social law, do we need to do that? No, because Israel, remember, the social law of Israel was for Israel because they were Israelites and there's religion and their nation, their national policies were one and the same. It's not the truth during our time because there's separation of church and state. So the social laws do not really apply to us. How about the moral laws? Do they still apply? I think so. The Ten Commandments? Yeah. So what do we need to understand now that we belong to Yahusha? Remember, Yahusha did something for us. Because of our union with Yahusha, we are no longer subject by the law. So no, we're no longer condemned by the law. However, we have a responsibility. What is that? Romans 8, 1 to 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ, Yahushua. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body... God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. And so instead of following the law of Moses, we who belong to Yahusha have the responsibility of following the law of the spirit. It's also called the law of Christ. In other parts of the Bible, it's called the law of perfect liberty because we have freedom in Yahushua the Christ. We are no longer condemned under the law of Moses, but it means we have a responsibility to obey now the law of the spirit. And so because of the law of the spirit, what are we to do? What does that mean? That we are now subject to the law of the spirit. Book of uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 3 to 6, you know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours, is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so is the law of Moses still applicable for us? In a sense, yes. What do you mean in a sense? Not in its letter, but in its spirit. What does that mean? The principles of the law of Moses still apply to us. How are we to understand the principles of the law of Moses that apply to us? Through the spirit. It's called the law of the spirit, the law of Christ. You have to keep in mind the Old Testament ceremonies and laws came from the mind of God. This is why Yahushua said those who teach that the commandments of God in the Old Testament are not important are to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. They're still important because it shows us the spirit or the principle behind the letter of the law. So during our time, the aspect of the law of Moses that applies to us is the spirit of the law as manifested in the work and the law of the spirit in our life. What's an example? Galatians 5, 13 and 15. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, <laughs> beautiful, isn't it? Is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So according to Apostle Paul, we who, are, who belong to Yahushua, we have freedom because there's no more condemnation in us. We have satisfied the requirements of the law through Yahushua the Christ. But it doesn't mean we use our freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. So instead, what is our responsibility? We need to serve one another in love. How important is that? The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, we know where he got that from. Where did he get that from? Yahushua. When he said, Yahushua replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what was the spirit? What is the spirit of the law? The spirit of the Old Testament law of Moses and the prophets. It's these two commandments, right? Were they encoded, codified in the books of Moses? Yes. But in our life today, because we belong to Yahushua, what is important for us to really master? Those two things. Love God with all of your heart, soul and mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And after he gave those two commandments, what did Yahushua confirm? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments okay so to answer the question is the law of moses still applicable to us today yes the spirit of the law of moses the principles behind the law of moses so is it still good to study the the old testament 
absolutely so that we can see the principles behind the commandments of God that are still applicable for those who belong to Yahusha. Okay. All right. Let's go to our next question. One of the legislature in the Philippines was interviewed in a television program because he's pushing the death penalty in the upper house. And he cited Romans 13, 1 to 7 to prove his point. Could you please explain, Brother John? By... He is also a religious preacher. Okay, so in the Philippines, um, there's he's campaigning, lobbying for the death penalty, right? You all know what the death penalty is? The death penalty. And so he's lobbying for the death penalty in the upper house. And to prove his point, because he's a preacher, he uh, referred to Romans 13, 1 down to 7. And so I guess I'm trying to look for a question. I guess the question is, does Roman 13, 1 to 7, um, serve as a basis for upholding a death penalty law within the government in the Philippines or in any other nation? And so, first of all, before answering that question directly, we need to first understand, did God, did Yahuwah God ever instruct the, the death penalty? What do you think? Did he instruct the death penalty, Yahuwah God? Yeah. In the book of Genesis 9, 5 to 6, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. And so Yahuwah God, he shows the value of human beings. Why are human beings valuable? Because all human beings, doesn't matter what culture you came from, what nation you were born in, doesn't matter. All human beings were created in whose image? The image of God. And so God is telling us the worth, the value of the human being, right? The value of humanity. He's telling us a human being is worth much more than anything that we can imagine because a human being was created in the image of God. However, what did he also instruct the people to do? Bible says if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Isn't that the death penalty? And so the death penalty was instructed by God in the book of Genesis. Here's my question to you. This commandment of God, that a person's life will, must be taken by human hands if he takes away human life. In other words, the death penalty. This command, this instruction of God, was this given during the time of Moses? Yes or no? No. This was given when? Genesis 9? Before Moses? This was right after the flood. Genesis 9 takes place right after the flood. Do you know why Yahuwah God gave this instruction, a universal instruction before the time of Moses, before it was encoded in the, the, the book of laws, before that happened, Yahuwah God gave a universal instruction concerning people who kill other people, that they can be put to death. Why did God give this instruction? If we go back to Genesis 6, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And so why did God decide to destroy the whole earth in the first place? Because he saw the earth filled with what? Violence. Perhaps men killing other men. And nothing was being done about that. And so there was the flood. After the flood came, what did God do? He gave an instruction to Noah that whoever is guilty of killing another man, that person must be put to death by another man. The death penalty. Why? To act as a deterrent so that people will think twice, right? Before doing something that is violent in nature. And so it's a way of preventing further violence to escalate, you have the death penalty. So this was mandated by God before the time of Moses. And then Israel becomes a nation, right? And so when they became a nation, what did God instruct Moses, the leader of Israel, to do? The book of Exodus 21, 12 to 17, anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall, shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. Anyone who attacks his father or his mother must be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or, or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. And so when Israel became a nation and Moses became its leader, Yahuwah gave some laws for the people of Israel to fulfill or to know about. Why? So that the nation will not be chaotic. It's a way of making sure that there's peace in the land. Because you have how many people? Millions of people, right? And to maintain the peace... You have to have certain laws to control the behavior, the aggressive, violent behavior of human beings. Because by human nature, we are aggressive beings. And so we need to temper that. And so the law of Moses, given by God to Moses, included the death penalty. Not just for people who kill other people, but in this case, if you attack your father or mother, if you kidnap someone, if you curse father or mother, it requires the death penalty. Of course, Israel can do that because they were a theocracy, right? There was no separation in, from state and uh, religion. And so the, the state and the religion are one, Israel, right? And so we can see during the days of the patriarchs, there was mandated um, death penalty. During the days of the prophets, during the days of Israel, there was, there was also a mandated death penalty. Well, how about in the Christian era? What do you think? Should there be mandated death policy as well? If we look at the pattern, patriarchs, hmm. prophets, hmm. how about Christian era? In Romans 13, 1 down to 4, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. But you want to be free. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, bringing punishment on the wrongdoer. This is the Christian era. And Apostle Paul is speaking about governing authorities. And he gave a command to the Christians or the Yahushaim. What did he say to the Yahushaim? He said, submit yourself to the governing authorities. Why? Because the governing authorities were established by who? God. For what purpose? To bring punishment on the wrongdoer. What kind of punishment is included? It does not explicitly say death penalty. But if you read between the lines, look at the words used. Terror, be afraid, sword, angel, agent of wrath. What do you think it includes? The death penalty. And Apostle Paul, when he was writing this, he was also in referencing uh, the, uh, the government authorities during his time. During his time, was there a death penalty? Yes. And so what does this tell us? That even in the Christian era, the death penalty was also mandated by God. However, it was given to the governing authorities, not the religion. There's a separation of church and state, right? And this is why during our time, I believe, that during our time, that uh, the death penalty is issued by God through the authority of the governing states. It is up to them to make those decisions. And so Apostle Paul tells us to submit to governing authorities. However, that comes with a condition. What is that? The book of Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And so if a human, uh, if there's government um, laws, government mandated instructions, human authority of any kind, that tell us to do something against the will of God, of course, that's the only time we're not going to submit to the government-based authorities because we must obey God first rather than human authority. However, having said that, having said that God mandates the death penalty, the time of the patriarchs, the prophets, and the Christian era, the three dispensations of time, even though God has decreed the death penalty, what must we understand? In the book of Ezekiel 33:11, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Yahuwah, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from the wicked way so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? And so, although there are nations and states that have a death penalty instituted, we should be very careful in its implementation, especially because there are flaws to the system as far as determining guilt. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Because there are people who are falsely accused and there are countless of situations and cases where people who, have been, who were thrown into jail and in death row 
later on exonerated because of DNA evidence, right? And so it happens. And so because of this sticking, sticking point, because of this uh, wrench in the system, we have to be very extra careful as far as implementing the death penalty. That's just my take on it, because what Yahuwah wants is for people to repent, because Yahuwah God takes no pleasure in the death of wicked people, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. If we sinned, if we sinned against Yahuwah God and Yahusha Christ, there is forgiveness. But if we sinned against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. Does it mean that the Holy Spirit is greater than God and Christ? Good question. And that question comes from this passage in the New Testament. Yahusha was teaching in Matthew 12, 30, 32. For this reason, I tell you, people can be forgiven any sin and any evil thing they say. But whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who says something against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But whoever says something against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven now or ever. So the question becomes, if you can sin against the Son of Man and be forgiven, does it mean that the Holy Spirit is greater than the Son of Man, right? Makes, the question kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So before we answer that question, we need to first understand well, what does it mean to sin against the Holy Spirit? Because when it says here, whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So we need to know the context. In what context is it to speak evil against the Holy Spirit so that it means the unforgivable sin, right? You notice why Yahusha said what he said. Yahusha said, for this reason, I tell you, people can be forgiven any sin and evil things they say, but whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so Yahusha, before he said that, he said, for this reason, which highlights the statement right before it, doesn't it? Because when you say for this reason, it comes from the logic that flows from the previous statements. And so we read 31 when he said, for this reason, let's read verse 30. What does it say? Anyone who is not for me is really against me. Anyone who does not help me gather is really scattering for this reason. And so this sin, this speaking evil against the Holy Spirit, has something to do with the rejection of who? Yahusha Hamashiach. I want you to think of this. If you reject Yahusha, will your sins be forgiven? Yes or no? No. It can never be forgiven in this few, in this age, now or ever. If you do not accept Yahusha, if you don't belong to Yahusha because you reject Yahusha, you will never be forgiven of any sin. And so the, whole, the, the speaking against the Holy Spirit is connected with this rejection of Yahusha. You see, God wants people to be saved. And so for people to be saved, what did he do? He sent Yahusha, the Son of God, so that people would believe in him and follow him. And when he came to earth as the Son of Man, and you know the term Son of Man is to point to the humanity of Yahusha. He was a man, right? And so he looked ordinary. He doesn't look like a, like a Son of God with like an angel radiating out of him light. He looked like an ordinary man, right? 
That's why he's also called the son of man. And so when the son of man, Yahusha, came and he began to teach, did people accept him? No, they rejected him. But God did not give up. And so what did he do? Let's go look at the context. Matthew 12, uh, 22, 23. Then the demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Yahusha. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Yahusha is the son of God, the son of David, the Messiah? And so because people rejected Yahusha in his plain teaching, in his plain figure, son of man, Yahuwah God did not give up on man, right? What did he do? Not only did Yahusha preach the truth, he also demonstrated what? Miracles. He demonstrated power. And so when he demonstrated power to convince the people that he was Yahusha, he was the Messiah, the son of David, the hope that what Yahuwah God wanted as a response was for people to accept him as a son of God. But is that what they did? What did they do instead? When Yahushua showed his power, when he healed this man, what did they say? When the Pharisees heard this, they replied, he drives out demons only because the ruler, Beelzebul, gives him power to do so. So instead of believing that Yahushua is who he says he is, the son of man, the son of David, the Mashiach, the Mashiach or the Messiah, they say, no, the only reason why he's able to do that is because he, he uses the power of Beelzebub, the power of the devil, the power of Satan. And so they rejected still Yahusha. And so when Yahusha came, the son of man, he preached the truth, rejected him. He came as the son of man. He showed the spirit's power. They still rejected him. And so what does Yahusha say? 28 to 32. No, it is not Beelzebub, but God's spirit who gives me the power to drive out demons which proves that the kingdom of God has already come upon you. No one can break into a strong man's house and take away his belongings unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not for me is really against me. Anyone who does not help me gather is really scattering. For this reason, I tell you, people can be forgiven any sin. And any evil thing they say, but whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who says something against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But whoever says something against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven now or ever. And so when the Pharisees and the people who watched the demonstration of, Yahushua, of the miracle of Yahusha, and they said and accused Yahusha, of using the power of Satan, the power of demons, what did Yahushua say? Yahushua said, no, it's not visible. It is but God's spirit. You see the work of the Holy Spirit? See, I want you to understand something here. The reason why there are people who ask, people, the reason why people are confused about the Holy Spirit is because they think the Holy Spirit is a person, right? And so when you think he's a person, you can say he's greater than is it greater than the Son? Is it greater than the Father? No, the Holy Spirit is what? A power, the power of God. It's not just a regular power. It's a manifestation of God as he interacts with man. Because you have to keep in mind God is eternal. Human beings are mortal. 
And so to communicate, to have this interaction between eternal and non-eternal, you need something in between. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And so God is manifested by the Holy Spirit. And so humans can only understand the deep things of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what God is doing here is he's using the power of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of these people so that they would accept who? Yahusha, right? And so what did Yahusha say? He said, it is by God's power that I'm able to drive out demons. What's the proof? It's God's power that he uses to drive out demons. He says, he, he says, no one can break into a strong man's house and take away his belongings unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. I want to ask the question, who is that strong man referred to there? That's Satan. Satan and his minions. Satan rules a household, right? And so to be able to have power over the other demons, he needs to first bind who? Satan. In other words, Yahusha saying, that what the Pharisees were accusing him is wrong. The Pharisees were saying, you are getting power from demons. Yahushua says, no, I have the power over Satan. He has the power to bind Satan. And that's exactly what he did. And so again, the Bible is telling us the Mashiach who will bind Satan has already come. And that's Yahushua. And so the Holy Spirit's uh, work is to show that Yahusha is the Christ. Why? So that their sins can be forgiven. And so even if after the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to prove and show that Yahusha is the Mashiach given by God for the forgiveness of sins, and they still reject the Holy Spirit by insulting and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and they have just rejected Yahusha for the forgiveness of their since you see to speak blasp to, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is basically to blaspheme against who? God at his deepest core. That's what it means. To reject the spirit is to reject both God and Yahusha. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is greater than God and Yahusha. The Holy Spirit is not a person. But it's God's way of manifesting, of showing the people that Yahusha is the Christ. If the people still reject it by insulting it, then how can they approach Christ? How can they belong to Christ? And so the end product would be they will be apart from Christ. Instead of being with him, they are against him. And so if you're against Christ, how can you be saved? Your sins will not be forgiven. Okay? All right. Let's go to the next one. John, when we pray to God and ask for the forgiveness of our sins, or when we partake of Yahusha's Passover, are we completely forgiven of our sins? Or are we still going to answer for all of our past sins when the book of works is open on the day of judgment? Good question. It's about sin. Are all of us sinners? Yes, we are all sinners. But when Yahuwah forgives our sins, are we completely forgiven? First of all, how does Yahuwah forgive our sins uh, during our time? The book of Romans 5, 20, 21, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Remember the law of Moses? It's in effect here. So the law was given to see how sinful we are. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. 
So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Yahushua Christ, our Lord. And so how did God find an answer for sin? Because sin brought death and curse upon mankind. And so what did God do in his grace so that we can receive salvation despite the fact that we are sinners? Because the Bible is telling us we are sinful and because of our sins, we are going to be put to death. By God's wonderful grace, he created a way through Yahushua for us to have right standing with who? God. See, because of sin, man lost his right standing with God. And he has to pay for that. But if we have a right standing with God, then we can. this can result in eternal life. But it's only through Yahushua the Christ. But how? How can we, through Yahushua the Christ, have right standing with God and sins forgiven? Romans 5, 8-9, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And so how are we made right through Yahushua? By his blood. Through his blood, we are made right in God's sight. What does it mean to be made right in God's sight? It means we are now saved from God's condemnation. What is God's condemnation? It is the punishment that is, that is the result of sin. Because if one sins, he must be condemned according to the requirements of the law. But if one has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, he is no longer uh, under that law. He is made right in God's sight. So how does one uh, benefit from the blood of Christ so that his sins are forgiven? Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yahushua Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do we need to do so that our sins can be forgiven? Through Yahushua Christ and his shed blood, we need to be baptized in Christ. Why should we be baptized in Christ? In Corinthians 12, 12 down to 13, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Why do we need to be baptized? To benefit from the shed blood of Yahushua Christ? Because when one is baptized, he is baptized into the one body. What is the one body? That is the, the assembly that belongs to Yahusha the Christ. It's the body of people who receive Yahusha the Christ. They are the ones who are to receive the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sin. So now, because we are parts of the body, who will answer for our sins? Yahusha, the head. We're no longer responsible for our sins. It will be the head. Is that complete? Yes. Well, how about after our baptism? Do we still continue to sin? We do, right? And so what do we do? If we belong to Yahushua the Christ, so that even after baptism, we still continue to sin, yet still are forgiven. Let's look at the book of 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Yahushua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
You saw, did you notice the kind of power the blood of Yahushua uh, cleanses? What does it say? It cleanses us from all, not 99%, right? But all sin. If we claim we have no sin, <laughs> we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so when we're baptized in Yahusha, we belong to him. If we belong to him, we don't have to worry about the condemnation of sin. Why? Because he forgives us our sin. How much of our sin? All of our sin. And not only that, here's the best part. You see, not only does Yahusha cleanse us, right, from all of our sins, not only does he forgive us, I should say, from all of our sins, he also cleanses us from all our wickedness, wiped out clean. That's the power of the blood of Yahusha. But for us to maintain that, we need to confess our sins to who? Yahusha the Christ. And so to answer the question, when we pray and ask forgiveness, are we completely forgiven? What's the answer? Yes, yes, and yes. Or the yellow part, are we still going to answer for all of our past sins when the book of works is open on the day of judgment? Well, what is that book of works mentioned there? Revelation 20, 11 and 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from those from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the, the dead who were in it. And death and Hades were delivered up to the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Question, I guess, uh, to answer the, the question that was asked, are we still going to answer for all of our past sins when the book of works is open on the day of judgment? And so following the logic of this question, I'm thinking what this person intended to ask is, if our sins are forgiven already, when we ask for forgiveness, because that's the biblical answer, right? Our sins are forgiven. If our sins are forgiven, then why do you have to open up the book of works? You get the, you get the logic of the question? If your sins are forgiven, why are the book of works still going to be opened up? Are your sins, um, are you still going to have to answer for those sins? The answer is no. The book of works mentioned in Revelation 20, 11 and 15 does not apply to us. We're not going to face the great white throne. We're not included in the great white throne. What is the great white throne for? It is the judgment seat of God. Not for those who belong to Yahushua. What's the proof? This does not belong. This, this does not pertain to those who belong to Yahushua. The Bible says those who are, not, who are going to be free from this are those whose names are written in the book of life. Who was, who, was, uh, who was given authority over the book of life? The Lamb. The Lamb's book of life. The great white throne judgment seat of God does not pertain to us. 
Why are we sure? Not only are we in the book of life, number two, the Bible says those who will be judged on the great white throne of God's judgment are those who are dead. See verse 12, and I saw thee dead, and the dead were judged. And so the ones who are to be judged are those who are dead, not those who are alive. And so we, this leads us to the question, who are those who were alive? Who are they? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, Romans 6, 3 to 8. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Yahusha, in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also. What does it say? Isn't that beautiful? We will also live with him. Brethren, the great white throne or the book of works are going to be open to determine the type of punishment to be given those who are going to be cast in the lake of fire. It does not apply to us. Who does it apply to again? Who does it apply for? The dead. And so it no longer applies to us. Why? Because we joined with Christ. How did we join with Christ? Through baptism. What kind of baptism is this called? Baptism unto his death. We join Christ in his death. Why is that significant? Because if we join Christ in his death, we all know what happened on the third day, right? What happened to him on the third day? He was risen. And up to this very moment, he remains alive, never to die again. Just as we join Christ in his death, we will join him in his glorious resurrection. That's why for those who are in Christ, we're not dead. What are we? Alive. We live with who? Yahusha. So long as Yahusha lives, we will live. And because we belong to Yahusha and died with him in his bapt through baptism, the Bible says, the old sinful nature was crucified and sin has lost its power. We are free from the power of sin. We are alive. And so you don't have to worry about the book of works that show all of your bad things, right? That will condemn you into the lake of fire. No, that has been atoned for. That judgment, that great white throne judgment seat is not for those who belong to Yahusha. For those who belong to Yahusha, our sins have been atoned for. We are set free from the power of sin because of this, because of the resurrection of Yahusha. We too will be alive because of him. And so we can find confidence in Yahusha, our king. And so brothers and sisters, let us always place our hope and trust in Yahusha HaMashiach, who by his shed blood purchased us that we may belong to him because he will answer for our sins. 
and he will make sure our names are listed in God's book of life. Okay? All right, that is our lesson. Let us stand for our prayer. Everlasting Abba. Yes, Father. Thank you, Yahuwah God yes. Almighty, for your blessings. Amen. Thank you for showing through the laws and the commandments. Yes, sir. Your deep desire, the character that you want from us. Amen. Through the Old Testament, the yes. laws of Moses, the commandments and principles. Yes. We know, Father, the type of behavior you want to see from us. Yes, Father. Yet we know even if we are not perfect in its implementation. Yes. Because we are one with your son. Yes. In your eyes, through him, we have become perfect already. Amen. And so we thank you because through our salvation in Christ Yahushua, yes. we are now free to fulfill the commandments yes. so that we can be edified and be prepared for the great day of our salvation. Amen. There is no fear anymore. Yes. Only something to look forward to. Yes. Confidence in your grace and mercy. Yes. You are at work in our life. Yes. And so we are infinitely thankful. Yes. Father, we ask that you please bless us in our work. Yes. To share our faith with many more people. Yes. Bless everyone listening to your holy words. Yes. Especially our loved ones, oh Father. Yes. May you open their eyes to see the truth. Yes. And embrace their hearts that they will follow them. Yahushua, our King. Yes. What a privilege it is to belong to you. Yes. To be joined to you through baptism. Yes. To be united in your death. We know that you were risen. Yes. And although one day we might die physically. Yes. We too will rise with you. Because you have a command over death. Yes. When you speak our names, we will come to meet you in the air. Yes. And be with you forevermore. Mm -hmm. How we long for that day. As we wait eagerly for your appearing. Yes. We are ready to endure all things, to obey the commandments of our Father. Amen. Help us in this journey yes. to keep our eyes focused on you, yes, to keep our eyes always focused upon the future when you will come back to be with us forevermore. Amen. How we wait for that day. Help us to be strong enough yes, to be able to see you face to face, standing by your side Amen. on that appointed day. Amen. Father, bless your people throughout the world. Yes. Bless us with the power of your spirit yes. to give us strength that comes from you. Amen. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.